It's not always easy to find the positive. You might even need to search for happiness. Sometimes, just a little inspiration can make the difference. Here, it comes from unexpected places. Welcome to the Tangential Inspiration Podcast. Hi, I'm Teresa. And I'm Amy. We are two ordinary moms looking for inspiration wherever we can find it. So, Amy, I can't believe we're already on episode 43. I know. I can't believe it. And we're in middle of August. But the highlights... Best parts of last week. Well, I would say the plogging we did, and we met that yes. guy, Gary, at Albertsons as we were dumping our, our bags. And, he bra- and thought we were sisters. And, and then he's like, us. are you two the ones that run around the pond? And we're like, oh, yeah. And then he said, what are your names? And we both, we yeah. sounded like we were like, hi, I'm Teresa, hi, Amy. Which but, is not what we sound like in normal life. No, but we, we yeah. we're more excited. We were excited. Yeah. But oh, it was cute that he made the connection. Yes. Yes. And he recognized us. I and, know. And he said something about that's really cool. And I did love, you know, the, it is not that we're doing it at all for the accolades, but I love when people are like, thank you. Excited about it because it seems like then they want to go do it too. Right. I don't care about what they're saying about us, but I want them to go do something yeah, too. Yeah, they're just so. more aware. Like, exactly. Hey, they see us so doing very cool. So, yeah. Like, pretty much all of the things I've stumbled across, I'm not quite sure how I found these guys with the OnCloud sponsored athletes, David Brown and Jerome Avery. But I do know I love OnCloud shoes. And I guess I'm in good company because I read The Rock gave his approval. Oh, cool. For OnCloud, which we all know that The Rock knows a thing or two about working out. And yeah. I'm excited to be talking about The Rock with Mental Health Month. Oh, but yeah. that's... Well, He's such a great guy. Oh I my like gosh. Him. I had no idea how much I loved The Rock until. Yeah. But um, I fell in love with OnCloud for a whole new reason after watching their short production called Untethered. I love that they sponsor these these two guys. They have a ton of athletes on there, okay. but I especially love these two athletes. And I love that they're spreading this story. It's a super brief story, or the movie's really short. It's I'm the fastest blind man in the world. That's the title David Brown has had since 2014. When he was just 15 months old, David was diagnosed with Kawasaki disease. It's a rare condition that affects usually the lymph nodes and the inner organs. But for David, it affected his eyes, causing rapid developing glaucoma. He lost all the vision in his left eye when he was three. Oh, my gosh. I mean, watching the movie, I'm just, like, crying. But watching the bond with these two men, it's just absolutely amazing. So even though it's tragic, it's also very uplifting and very heartwarming. Right. But, um, so he lost all of his vision in his left eye when he was three, leaving him only the vision in his right eye, which was deteriorating. By the time he was six years old, he had already endured several eye surgeries to stabilize his vision. And he, at that point, already couldn't see well enough to play baseball or basketball. Aww. He was a young, young guy yeah. that wants to play sports and he's athletically gifted. Right. And so he navigated with a cane. Just sad in itself. Yeah. But at 13, doctors told him there just wasn't anything more they could do to save his vision, which <sighs> I cannot yeah. even imagine. I, I know. Oh, my goodness. In 2004, the family moved to St. Louis so that he could attend Missouri School for the Blind. And he was always an athlete at heart. He had dabbled in wrestling, mainly okay. because, you know, that's a sport he could do without good vision. And that's also another sport that fast twitch muscle fibers are uh, very helpful. Right. But in the film, it showed him playing basketball with his girlfriend. Oh. 
And he said that if basketball, they had a basketball team for the blind, he wouldn't be a runner. He'd be there instead, which I just, it made my heart happy. But I'd have to say that the blind running community has definitely benefited from there not being a blind basketball team. Because this guy is just all sorts of amazing. In 2008, David was selected from several hundred applicants to attend the 2008 Beijing Paralympic Games. And come to find out, that was just the start. He was awarded a spot on the Para-America team in 2011. They eventually offered him full-time housing, training at the Elite Training Center in Chula Vista, California. And in 2012, David was named the youngest blind competitor to join the London Games. Oh, Wow. So it was at the London Games in 2012 that he broke the American records in both the 100-meter and the 200-meter. All that was possible because he had a guide being his eyes on the track. So these guys, they're, they're it's called untethered because they're, you know, attached by just a little piece of fabric. Wow. But I watched some of the videos of the races with David and Jerome, and they seemed to be just this natural team. They were like... Just wow. so fluid. So it was to like they're together. Oh, absolutely. Wow. They talk about it being like a um, synchronous. It sounds like I'm thinking synchronized. Oh, they but. absolutely were. It's just it's be- it's amazing. It's, yeah. I'm, there are no words to describe it. But I know that Dave is still training and on the roster for the games in Tokyo. But at the end of the movie, it noted that the coaching staff had decided to part ways with Jerome, which I've oh, started following yeah. him on Instagram. Oh, okay, and he you know is a plant person and cutest dog Aww. so anyone who is big on dogs I'm check right it out there. yes so you got to check out jerome avery on on instagram too i want to do a whole separate short on him because yeah. he's got his own story but i was just so inspired by david's drive his spirit and his ability but i also also equally impressed with the passion that jerome shared so you have these two guys they both have to run super fast yeah after winning a race in rio Jerome simply points to David, and he's just like, he wants to get the crowd roaring for David, because he knows he's the one that's won the medal, not him, even though, you know, it's it. I I don't know, it just made me cry. I'm sad that their running streak appears to be on pause at the time, but this duo has a lot of hardware together. I'm impressed that at the same time, these running guys, they just, they have to put in the training time, just like the other athletes. Jerome's starting a nonprofit called Guiding Lives, and I'm going to have to dig in his story at another point when he, because he's, like I said, he's pretty impressive with his resume as well, but huge heart, which I'm all about. Yeah. With David Brown, he has the world record for the 100 meter at 10.92 seconds. He also has the world record for the 200 meter. He's won the Paralympic championship. Two times he's won the world championship, and like I said, he's the world's fastest blind man since 2014 i love that he he has several amazing quotes on there i could just go on all day about it but two of them that i absolutely love chasing my dreams until what i dreamed chases me and my favorite on his whole website was i am grateful to god for giving me the grace to grind love it awesome So we're still, I'm, I'm still, I'm going to be on Olympics forever. And I love that my mom texted me about Boys in the Boat because oh, you talked about that. Yeah. She's like, it sounded so familiar. And she's going to hate that I say that voice yeah. for her. But she went back and looked at her books. She's like, it sounded familiar because Did I read, read it. it? Oh, she, sweet. <laughs> she had read that one. 
She had read Irina Sendler. Okay. So I love, I, I just love that my mom is listening oh, to our podcast. So and, nice. So yeah, cute. We need to have her on here one day. Yeah, that'd be fun. But I'm still talking about the Olympic athletes. Yeah. And obviously they eat, sleep, and breathe their disciplines. I can't even comprehend the hours. Oh, no kidding. Probably years, years yeah. literally, of sacrifice to have the opportunity just to compete at the games. But I recently read a book about a young woman who's endured all of that and some. Yusra Mardini was born in Syria. Her dad was a swimming coach, so it's not like she really had much of a choice. To, <laughs> to That's what she was going to do, yeah, I guess. Exactly. Yusra and her older sister, Sarah, were local heroes, kind of in a way, or at least in the swimming community. They had a really good life in Syria. Their parents were loving and attentive. They both, the parents had good jobs. The mom was a psychotherapist. The dad was a swimming coach. And they had a normal childhood. Yeah. That ended as conflict erupted in Syria. Much like accounts I've read with other wars, the violence and all the fighting didn't just happen overnight, but it crept in. So right. I, and that's another thing I've loved about this podcast. It, I've just grown so much and learned so much right. about, about different pe- people. Exactly. And- so the conflict started far enough away from their home and their city that they didn't really worry about it much. They felt bad about neighboring towns, but they didn't realize that unfortunately their city would be under siege soon too. In 2011, the civil war had erupted between the Syrian government and rebel groups. By 2012, the fighting reached the Mardini's neighborhood. When all was said and done, the Syrian civil war forced half the population, we're talking 11 million people, to flee to other parts of Syria or leave the country altogether. I just... can't imagine. I, I can't. No. Her father left Syria for work in Jordan, and then he would send the family money. That left Mirvant, the mom, to work and care for the three girls on her yeah. own. So talk about stressful. Under war time. I would be so scared. You know, it started with roadblocks. Yeah. They were often pulled over and searched on their way home from swim practice. They'd hear mortars and gunshots, which can you I can't I, imagine. I, I, I just so can't. But they felt safe enough. <laughs> you know, I just can't even imagine growing up in this or even raising your children with this. It, it continued to get worse and the danger was closing in. There were times they had to stay in another city with their grandma, mainly because it just wasn't safe enough to travel in the streets. In the streets, wow. driving just in the streets just wasn't yeah. safe. The final straw for the sisters came when a bomb dropped through the roof of their swimming pool. So they're in practice. Fortunately, it didn't detonate, but it was scary enough to land. It was at the bottom of the pool. Still didn't detonate. Two of their teammates were unfortunately killed. And instantly, their priorities and goals shifted from training and just normal teenager stuff to pure survival. Yeah. Yeah. Yusra and Sarah, her sister, were lucky enough to have parents that could help financially since the journey would be challenging and expensive. That's why a lot of people couldn't do it. Their financial situation made it more realistic for the daughters to attempt to flee, but definitely not easy. Right. Between the tanks, the mortars, and nonstop bullets, Yusra and Sarah, her sister, convinced their parents to allow them to try to escape to Germany. Sarah had a friend who had escaped and obtained asylum in Hanover, and the girls were hoping to follow. I just... I can't imagine. teenagers. them out. No. I just can't imagine going through this. But in 2015, that was the year they decided 
they no longer had a future in Syria, which is sad. They that loved so hard. I they mean, loved their life. Country, yeah. Yeah. They they loved yeah. their previous life in Syria. I read that in August of 2015, more than 80,000 Syrians fled the country. The first weekend of September alone, 20,000 people arrived on buses and trains from Hungary through Australia and into Germany. None of these countries were prepared for this. With those numbers, how could any country be? Right. I just feel for the people being pushed from their homes, often leaving most everything behind. And I'm practical in questioning how neighboring countries could afford to host or even accommodate the stream of refugees. Right. That's a lot of people coming across I know. your borders. Yeah. You know? I know, but how can you say no? And you know me, I'm about building a bigger table, but at the same time, I'm not sure how long I could afford to keep food on that right. bigger table. Right. So I, oh my gosh, I, I just, I don't know the answer. I think it was a sad realization that the country and life they had enjoyed was a thing of the past for the whole family. They kept hoping that things would stop, things would get better. Right. But that came to an end, and and they finally realized that life would never return to normal. They knew that wasn't going to happen. And I can't imagine coming to that conclusion at 17, which is how old Yusra was. Oh, my gosh. So Yusra, Sarah, and two of their male cousins set out for Germany. So they're without a parent. Yeah. So the dad gave them money. They supported them for doing with, right. in doing this, but I can't imagine. I know. I can't even handle my adulting at 19. <laughs> so. <laughs> Sorry. And people along the way had all sorts of weird questions, most of them stemming from just ignorance. Right. Just like we don't get it. They yeah. didn't get it. They were naive. Just absurd questions, nonetheless. Because they had virtually nothing when they fled, it was easy to assume that these refugees had nothing before, either. So people they met along the way were surprised to hear that they had computers or Facebook accounts. And a normal life back in Syria. I mean, they were normal, happy people. They just had to leave it. Leave it or not survive. Right. The girls flew from Syria, Lebanon, and then on to Turkey. From there, they took a bus to the coast, and it sounds so simple. Like, right. we think of it no, as just no, traveling. That's the far. But each leg of the journey was dangerous. If they were caught, their hopes to escape would be over. Helicopters would hover over the shores looking for people trying to escape. The girls spent four days in the woods trying to... Oh. Um, they were, so they were waiting for the smugglers to right. find them a boat, and you can only imagine with those numbers that yeah. are traveling, the lines of people waiting for these boats and then the smugglers and their, right. I just, uh, the whole scenario. They'd hide in the woods and sleep wherever they could. And that totally reminded me <laughs> of Grandma Gatewood that I talked about with the yeah. Appalachian, you know, her doing the Appalachian Trail three times and where she just would sleep wherever she could. Right. But with this scenario, it was a lot more dangerous. Right. So they paid a smuggler $1,200 to help them cross um, the Mediterranean Sea to Greece. And they were lucky they had the money to do that. But yeah. it still was a risk. These smugglers had their own turf wars. Right. Um, would they take advantage of these kids? Oh, I mean, absolutely. Who knows? I mean, yeah. they, they had Facebook and they would see that sometimes refugees, you know, while they were making this trek, they had these refugees in a van that were just left on a heated road. They All, all 75 of the refugees died in this van. <sighs> So they saw these stories. They knew this was happening. They knew it was a risk. And they just were hoping to get a little bit further to freedom. Oh, my goodness. But these smugglers, they have their turf wars, not a lot of ethics. All they cared about, from what what I interpreted, was the money and getting paid. 
boats were often overfilled. And in Yusra's case, the boat was overfilled and it had a faulty engine. Oh, no. So they had waited four days in the woods until they got their time to go. And the smugglers, they load all the refugees into the boat and they assume that this guy is going to go with them. Last minute, the guy hops off the boat. Oh. For me, I would assume, I'm, I'm paying that money for transportation, I would assume that they would... Get you there. (laughs) Exactly. Get you the final destination. I know, but not the case. He hops off the boat. No wonder they required all the passengers to bring their own life jackets. Oh, my goodness. So I totally understand that. But within 15 minutes of the boat pushing off the shore, the engine sputtered and stopped. So can you imagine this? Wow, I cannot. Few passengers knew how to swim. And the boat was taking on water. I mean, we're talking like a dinghy. We're not right. talking like... It's not a big boat. No, this is no, small. this is a little boat. And yeah. um, it's scary. There's a little baby on board and a young, sickly boy who's just trying to find better medical attention. I, I know. It just... It, I mean, it does... It's It does... It's heart-wrenching, but I can't even comprehend. The bravery, the group as yeah. a whole in this boat just inspires and amazes me. Totally. There's one guy, he gets out and he holds on to the rope from yeah. in the water. He can't swim, but yeah. he just he knows that less weight in the boat will be better for everybody oh, else. So he sacrifices. So he sacrifices, weight. yes. Oh. And then another guy jumps in and does it. So already I'm just like humans humans can be good. Yeah, for sure. So he couldn't swim. He knew that he would lighten the load and increase the chances of survival for others. And so another guy followed. Braver still, Sarah and Yura hop out and they help. So because the waves are too powerful for the the girls, they're constantly just trying to turn the boat towards shore. And at times, I mean, you have salt water. I I just, I can't even imagine. Sarah had these heavy jogging pants on and she pulled them up and somebody helped her cut the jogging pants off. So they just were short. Yeah, exactly. The strength of the, the Mediterranean Sea was just too much for the girls, even though they were strong swimmers. They just tried to keep the boat facing the shoreline as the waves kept pummeling them. The girls were swimmers, obviously. They right. they could have just taken off for the shore. And I'm just inspired and, and in awe that they stayed with their, I, I don't want to say team, but they stayed with their crew because they wanted to stay together. They all wanted to to get to the other side. They stayed back and endured the salt water. They said their eyes just stung. It was freezing cold water. And they were braving the wildlife. This is where I could totally relate. Yusra was imagining the creatures lurking below in the dark water. Yeah, I would be doing the same thing. She said, all muscles and giant teeth, according to her. That would be me. That would have been my fear. Dark water, big creatures below with large teeth and big stomachs. So there were times. Save all that anxiety as well. I know. Holy moly. There were times that it just got too cold for the girls. They'd hop back into the boat and just huddle and kind of in fetal position try to warm up. And I have no doubt they were experiencing hypothermia. But fortunately, the motor sputtered back to life and they made it across the island of Lesbos in three and a half hours. Which, it doesn't sound like that long. But I bet that is a long time. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. That sounds like... I can't imagine the horror they were going through. And it must have felt like an eternity. Once on shore, she approached a business owner. And she knew that there was no way this guy had missed them, their near-death experience. She's like, he had to have seen the whole thing. Yeah. 
and user asked if she could buy a glass of water. She told him she had money. She must have been so thirsty between the salt water right. and just the exertion in yeah, the water. For sure. But the shop owner said they didn't serve her kind. Oh, my goodness. And this was only the first of those rejections, which I just, I I can't imagine saying no to someone for water and selling water. Not just, I want a free cup of water, but. I want to buy some water. So the group they traveled with, they had even fewer resources than the girls. They just had to sleep wherever they could. Right. They were just on this journey. The sisters on occasion could get a hotel room because they had the money from their parents. Yeah. And they could sleep in a real bed sometimes and enjoy a real shower, oh, a luxury they felt somewhat guilty about. Yeah. But I know that I could not turn down a hot shower. Oh, my goodness. No. Not after that. There were many times they were rejected when they were looking for a hotel room. There was a story. Is though, this just because they didn't want the refugees? Yeah. Or is it? Because of... I think a combination. They didn't want the refugees. Religion played okay. a factor in it. And I think they were just so flooded with so many refugees. That that being, it, yeah. It was a problem. But at the same time, this girl, she had money. And I just, I can't imagine a, a glass of water. Yeah. That just seems like you're such a basic just and you're willing to pay for it. What's humanity. humanity. I, yeah, exactly. Yeah. But there was a story of compassion on their journey, and it's probably my favorite part in the book. And I know I've told you it already um, a couple times. They were exhausted and getting some food at a restaurant. The waitress asked if they were refugees. This was in Greece. Yeah. And she wanted to know if they had a place to sleep. When Yusra told them they were refugees, the waitress suggested a church down the street. She said their doors were open and invited the tired bunch to sleep there. And Yusra chimed in. But we're Muslim. Oh. And the waitress had the best reply. You think I care about that? Oh. No one will bother you. Yay. So they headed down to that church, and they had a safe sleep that night in nice. the church. They didn't have to worry about anything. They slept where they could. They ate when they could, and they showered wherever they had the yeah. opportunity. Sounds like nightmare to me, but... That wasn't nearly often enough since they often talked about water being brown streaming off of her when she showered, which, yeah, I know, it's just reality. Their arrival in Germany was most certainly a relief. Along the way, they hid in cornfields. They endured a camp for refugees. And I say it's a camp. I don't really think it was a camp, but they were arrested and fingerprinted, which was a constant fear along the way. Yeah. They didn't want to be discovered and sent back to their war-torn country. The rules were different with minors, and and I I don't quite understand all of that. But either way, the goal was to make it to Germany without being detained and printed, which proved to be difficult, if not impossible, because refugees were tricked by the government. I think it was Turkey, where they got onto a train, only to find out that the trains were being sent to camps to contain the refugees, which, once again... this sounds really, it's very... Uh, I, I, I mean, I understand with the government's yeah. trying to figure out how many people are coming. I don't have the right answer, but... I know. So I the either, trains but. would send them there. They'd process them. They'd hold them there. Eventually, they'd release them. But still stressful for right. these young women and men that were on the right. journey, but for these two girls. I mean, they're trying to find safety. I know. You know. And escape. The trek would take them 25 days. And just making the journey itself was hard enough, but simply crossing into the German border didn't improve their situation. 
Sarah, the sister, spent yeah. hours, if not days, waiting in the queue trying to get the necessary paperwork for the girls to officially be granted asylum. They settled in Berlin and were at a refugee camp for like six months. A translator at the camp connected them with what I'm guessing were like swimming recruits. Oh. When the girls said they could swim, I don't really think they thought the girls could swim, but they were like, okay, we'll give them a chance. Right. They discovered, obviously, the girls could swim. Right. Sarah was working on the paperwork to get them asylum, and Yusra was hitting the pool. Though both of the sisters had helped them from sinking as they were crossing the Mediterranean, and both of them had been competitive swimmers for Syria, Sarah had a nagging shoulder injury, and obviously it hadn't gotten any better when they were oh, traveling. Yeah. And her heart just wasn't in the sport anymore. Yusra's new swim coach, Sven, took Yusra under his wing, he saw her potential and believed that she had what it took to get to the Olympics. Oh, wow. People were skeptical about his motives, which I thought was interesting. They were wondering if he was looking for publicity or maybe a bit payout by coaching Yusra. There were times he was using his own money to help with feeding and clothing Yusra and proper swim attire. Not anything fancy, just necessities right. for the pool. But Yusra had asked her dad when they got to Germany for more money. And when they got there, he was like, I, I gave you money to get there. I can't give you any more. So the girls had to make do with what he had given them. Wow. So Sven saw the need and he helped out. And, and when Yusra had asked him, he's like, that's what my mom taught me. His mom had taught him to pay it forward. So I think he just was a good human. He is yeah. just a good human because he's still here. With fleeing Syria, it made Yusra want to go to the Olympic Games even more. She idolized Michael Phelps, Aww. which made me think of. Yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah so I love Michael Phelps too. And she had great memories watching the television with her dad during the games in Athens. Sven wanted Yusra to focus on the 2020 Tokyo Games because she was so far behind the other swimmers in her age bracket. She was bumped down to the group below her, which oh, I think was yeah. um, was hard on the with her confidence. But worse yet, they were beating her at oh. that age. But Yusra didn't back down or Good give for up. Her. Good for her. She was willing to put in the hours, like more, way more than the younger kids were, because she had to catch up. Interesting fact, she was swimming in an old pool built for the 1936 Olympic Games in Berlin, which I thought was fun. Yeah. There were rumors at this time swirling around about a new refugee team being assembled for the 2016 Rio Games. And even before she was offered a spot, Yusra said she wouldn't be interested. She didn't want to be offered a chance out of pity. Right. She wanted to be like, you know, the Michael Phelps. She wanted to be, she wanted to earn that spot. Sure. So she didn't want it out of pity, especially not under a refugee umbrella. And I totally get why Yusra struggled with that word. She was so much more than a refugee, yet, like it or not, that was her new label. Right. I, and that's all I, it is. It's a, it's a, it's a label. label. Absolutely. Right. And this was, so her quote was, being reduced to one word, wear it as their name, an empty shell, barely even human. No money, no path, no passion, our past, future present, all of it deleted and replaced by that one devastating word, refugee. So fortunately, she decided that she'd accept a spot on the team, and even better and more exciting, the officials had offered her one of those 10 spots. Yay. So there were only 10. Right. The Olympic Committee even helped get her sister, Sarah, to the Games to help support her. That's awesome. It was so awesome. 
love that humans are doing the right thing. Right. She didn't win any medals in Rio, but she was introduced to the world. And there's a commercial from the games. I hadn't seen it at the time, but oh my gosh, you've got to YouTube it, sharing your story. Yeah. And the whole purpose of the refugee Olympic team. Just so inspiring. Yeah. It's impossible to watch it without getting teary, so be warned. The sisters got to see their hero during this time, Michael Phelps, up close in the Olympic Village. She kind of talks about that in her book, and she wants to go talk to him, but then she's like, he needs his space. But it still was just very cool. Yeah. Yeah. I just can't even comprehend the excitement they must have felt. She became the face for refugees. I admire her maturity to get up in front of groups and discuss the brutal facts about being a refugee. Ustra has received a number of awards, too many to even list, but I think one of the most impressive is the UNICEF Global Goal Awards Girl Award. Oh, wow. I know, that's a mouthful right there. But it's for her work creating progress for girls. Her and Sarah also received a Bambi Award, which is a German media prize. for, For them, it was Silent Heroes. The sisters even got to present Pope Francis with the Bambi Award at the ceremony, which that's, I think is super that's cool. That's so cool. I was super excited to see a picture of her with Ben Stiller. Oh, I like you know, him. Ben yeah. Stiller, Owen Wilson with Starsky and Hutch and all sorts of, yeah, all yeah. sorts of movies. But Ben Stiller was in a photo op for United Nations High Commissioner for Refugees, UNHCR. She became Goodwill Ambassador for UNHCR in 2017, and she's the youngest person to receive the honor. Oh. It's unfortunate that so many people misunderstand and mistreat refugees. Yeah. I mean, I just, I don't understand how some people say they're just like, can't they just go home? They right. need to go back right. to where they're, they came from. Right, but they're fleeing because they're in danger, honey. And it's not any fault of their own. No. They don't have a home. They don't have a home. That's why they're fleeing. Yeah. They want to go home. They would love to be back Exactly. But her work with UN, this is a mouthful, her work with UNHCR has helped her spread awareness, often through social media, just like her photo op with Ben Stiller with the hashtag with refugees. Oh, cool. Uh, She uses her platform to remind the world that refugees are ordinary people. They had homes and lives before. They were doctors, teachers, kids, shopkeepers, students, all thrown into that same refugee category. Right. War and conflict may have destroyed their countries and previous lives, but Yusra is a reminder of just what the human spirit and determination can accomplish. She said she'll just keep telling the truth, doing this to inspire people to do what they believe, no matter what. Which I love. Yeah, totally. I know Yusra represented the refugee Olympic team in 2021. I've watched a few of her butterfly events, and she makes it look so easy. Like, seriously, yeah. effortless. I'm glad she didn't have to give up her Olympic dreams. I'm so inspired that her work ethic, her drive, her focus to train, she could have easily made excuses and decided she was just too far behind to get back into the pool. Right, right. But she hopped right back in. I'm impressed with her maturity, which is probably, I mean, it comes with her being a refugee. Right, the experience kind of. I'm especially inspired by her spirit. She isn't going to let anyone take that away from her. When she was asked what she learned on the journey, she said, I learned perspective. Back in Syria, I wasted time. And this could be all of us. Yeah. I wasted time worrying about petty things. 
Now I know what real problems are. My eyes have been opened. Obviously, I don't wish Yusra's experience on anyone, but I certainly wish more people could grasp a fraction of that perspective. Right. Sarah went back to volunteer to help refugees in Greece. And I think lifeguard oh, is yeah, perfect yeah. for her. Yeah. Um, she's planning to study human rights in college. And uh, Yusra is still swimming and educating the world about refugees. And I can't help but wonder about the rest of her Syrian friends that fled with her in that dinghy. Yeah, like what's their lives like? I know. I'm sure they're especially grateful to the sisters that helped keep them alive. But I want to have the bravery of Yusra and Sarah, the trust of her parents. Right. To let those girls go and have that faith. I, I know. know. If I could do that. I don't think I could. And definitely, definitely the heart of that waitress in Greece. Whatever happens, I'll get up, I'll swim on, I'll survive, I'll emerge from the chrysalis as a butterfly. Yusra Merdini. Remember episode 40, we talked about boys in the boat? Oh, yep. Like like it. It. <laughs> yes. By Daniel James Brown. He wrote that story of the University of Washington Huskies rowing team who went to the 1936 Berlin Olympics. Yeah. I'm loving learning all of this. I, I know. Say. I just love the connections because I just saw this neat story about a competitive rower, Todd Voigt, who's an alternate at the Paralympics in Tokyo later this month. Um, three years ago, Todd was diagnosed with early onset Parkinson's disease, and he didn't think he could continue rowing. He had been a competitive rower for years and decided to coach because he felt weak because of the disease. Mm-hmm. And but he wasn't ready to give up, and recently got classified as a Paralympic athlete and qualified for the national para rowing team. He was hoping to go to Tokyo, but he didn't make the team. But he's an alternate. Todd says of his rowing that the boat requires so much dexterity that that force kind of sort of makes his left wrist, I guess, where he has trouble to at least do somewhat well, or else he'd end up in the river. So he's training here in Portland, Oregon. Oh wow! Yeah, his coach is Susan Wood. And she comments, his worth ethic is never-ending, going after that golden ring. And she continues. Wonder, so they must be on the Willamette. No, I'm the Willamette, I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm not going to be a stalker, but I am very That's, curious. Very cool. And she says, you know, I say he has Parkinson's disease, but I just see Todd, which mm-hmm. I love that, you know. Yeah. His neurologist at uh, OHSU says exercise can be used as medicine. Mm-hmm. Um, she's says she's inspired every time that she sees him. And she says a lot of people do report that when they're active and exercising, that's when they feel the best, and that's when their Parkinson's symptoms are under best control. So, I think that's for a lot of things. For a lot of yes. things. But I love that Todd realizes his symptoms will worsen over time, but he isn't planning to give up on rowing. Uh, he has his sights set on Paris 2024, Ooh. which I think is so mm-hmm. awesome. I just love his attitude and commitment to the sport. Very inspiring. Another fun story I read about rowing are two teens also from Portland, Oregon. Aiden Ursaman, 15, and Joshua Lee, 17. They're on the Portland Rose City rowing team. Oh, okay. and they. My dad used to do work for oh, Rose City. Okay, yeah. cool. They were on break last year during a national competition in Florida, your favorite place for vacation. <laughs> but they decided to check out a net relatively new sport called beach sprint rowing. It's a new it's only like six years old. So beach sprint hmm. rowing is when rowers they go head to head in this knockout format. They run <laughs> to the boat on the beach and then they sprint to the water and then they start racing. 
These teens loved it and competed and won their first ever <laughs> beach sprint rowing national championships this last June. And now they're off to compete in the world championships in Portugal this September. Huh. It's so cute. That is I mean, very cool. they just and what I love reading is that they just checked it out because they looked fun. <laughs> I mean, they thought it was fun, but they were awesome at it, which is really cool. Even better. But they are trying to raise money for their trip, and so they have a GoFundMe page. So mm-hmm. um, we'll have information about that in this episode on our website, tangentialinspiration.com. Cool. Time for my favorite part. Okay. Woo-hoo. I love to get to know Amy. Um, your first job. Hot dog on a stick. So I make oh, lemonade and lemonade. Yeah. And real lemons. Real lemons. We had to yes. hand squeeze those. Ooh. Yeah, we had this little thing. So. Um, your favorite vacation. I have to say I love Disneyland. Yeah, me too. My family, we usually have done it almost every year we go. And we just it's just fun to COVID's be a kid again. Rough, yeah. 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 So I love that. Yeah. Everyone loves Disneyland. Um, do you have anything currently from your childhood? I have a bear, Paddington bear. My mom oh. made me oh when I gosh. was like in maybe third Aww. or fourth grade. She loved to sew, mm-hmm. and so she made me this bear. It was out of a um, coat lining. So, but I love, and I she just because it had like fur, she mm-hmm. made it into this bear. But she, um, mm. yeah, I just love it because. Well, yeah. your mom was probably good with her hands. Cause very good. A nurse, hands, yeah. yeah. Um, do you have a favorite song lyric? Well, mine is, and you're going to like it, because it's <laughs> Brad Paisley and Dolly Parton. <laughs> okay. Oh, <good. laughs> I was like, Brad Paisley. I know. Country. Dolly Parton. But what I like is this song, it's When I Get Where I'm Going. And it's a song my sister and I both kind of fell in love with when we lost our parents. Mm-hmm. And it's, uh, I'll just read part of it. It says, when I get where I'm going on the far side of the sky, the first thing that I'm going to do is spread my wings and fly. Mm-hmm. And it just goes on. It's just, it's just really, it's a beautiful image, I yeah. think. Yeah. Very sweet. Do you have a favorite board game? I like Logos. I'm kind of obsessed with it when I play with my family. Logos? They're like, you have to back off because like, I'll even tell the answers. It's. Like, it'll, it'll be, like, different things, like FedEx, uh-huh. or it could be, like... <gasps> Where is this game? I need to find this game. It's really fun. It could be, like, food items. Mm-hmm. It could be places. Mm-hmm. But it's all the logos for them. And, like, Ooh. yeah, it's really fun. I love it. Delivered in ease and quiet, only through experience of trial and suffering can the soul be strengthened, ambition inspired, and success achieved. Helen Keller. Thanks for listening to Tangential Inspiration. We really want to hear from you. Email us your comments or story suggestions at tangentialinspiration at gmail.com or leave a comment on our website, tangentialinspiration.com. Our website has all our podcast episodes, show notes, stories, follow-ups, and links to websites and books we talk about. Like and subscribe to us on your favorite podcast app, and you can also follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Have a great week.